Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. Welcome to 2022 and another year of the podcast. Time continues and so will this podcast, at least until we get to the end. But we still got like 20-ish years to go around that, so let's get started. So on top of the whole Swedish thing I covered last time, Spain also had designs on the Baltic. Their main goal was to wrest trade from the merchant cities. In the end, it was a Pyrrhic victory costing them way more than it was worth. The Hanseatic League, which is the major Denmark and other merchant cities league, lost some control, but still maintained a grip on control, so didn't really help them that much. This Pyrrhic victory of the Spanish, it was a major blow to them politically as they were heavily criticized for it, and it cost the Spanish a lot of money. Between the years of 1621 and 1627, taxation doubled, and the amount of loans taken increased as well. The War of the Dutch was also taking its toll, the cost going from 1.5 million ducats to 3 million ducats, which is on top of the increasing cost of the Spanish Atlantic fleet, which was around 1 million ducats. The costs were adding up, and this was getting expensive for them. Breaking away from their usual religious issues, they even borrowed money from Jews and conservosos which wasn't normal since they normally got from the Genoese, but the creditors in Genoa were being nervous about Spanish as their credit wasn't great. It was actually one of the reasons why Spain had issues with the Netherlands. The Netherlands actually had really good credit, and they were more trusted in Spain, on top of a number of other issues, like the Dutch wanting to be free, but just an interesting factoid I knew from other research I've done. But with this increasing levels of loans and debt. They responded to this by suspending interest payments and printing more money, which anyone who knows anything about economics knows printing money just creates inflation because you're effectively not making more value. You're just having more dollars represent the amount of supply of whatever resource that you're basing off of. Because again, a currency for those who don't know is generally based off of some sort of standard, usually a gold or silver standard in the West. And the more that you print, the less valuable that money becomes. But yes, this is not a good sign for an economy. And Spain was not in a good place, especially with the raiding of their silver and gold ships that was going over from the New World, privateering and all that. So the government was effectively headed towards bankruptcy, which is not good for government. The government can't be insolvent or shouldn't be insolvent. It's a dangerous game to play, especially if they want more support later on. This led them to be unable to take advantage of the death of Maurice of Nassau in April 1625. Maurice of Nassau's brother, Frederick Henry, was chosen as the new prince of the Netherlands to keep continuity and stability. He was in the same camp of his brother. He wanted to unite the northern and southern part of the Netherlands. And he also was more focused on dynasty, so he ended up getting rid of the persecutions of opposing religious groups in order to maintain support for his family, which probably was good in the long term, considering, I believe, his son? Not son, but one of his descendants is actually the future king of England, William of Orange. Back to the dynasty in the country of the Netherlands. The French loaned them 1 million florins in subsidies, which allowed the Republic to bolster the military forces. They added around 7,000 men to their army initially, which rose to about 70,000 by 1629, with around 50,000 militia and a large navy with, with 8,500 additional men to support their larger navy. The navy then began to launch major blows against the Spanish, led by Piet Hines, a commander who had been fighting for the last several years. 
After mostly failing before this new commander, he actually managed to defeat and capture a Spanish convoy near Cuba, capturing around 80,000 kilograms of silver along with other goods valued up to 11 million florins. Loading up the ships, he managed to escape all the way back to the Netherlands, evading Spanish patrols and the weather. This was a major blow to the already bad Spanish economy, and this also vastly enriched the Dutch government, as well as the crews involved in the raid. The crew got the equivalent of 17 months of pay, and Heinz was awarded handsomely, although he was killed in a minor skirmish with privateers in 1639, so he wasn't able to enjoy that reward. Again, this is on top of other privateers harassing Spanish trade and piracy in the Caribbean in general, so not a good spot for them. This raid, on top of monetarily, was also a blow to them psychologically. This hurt Minister Olivares' plans to restore the confidence in the Spanish economy. Olivares was a leader, kind of prime minister figure in the Spanish courts at the time, generally heavily on foreign affairs. This blow in confidence led to the Spanish fleet to be more skittish, not wanting to sail early, and they would risk sailing in hurricane seasons to avoid getting attacked by Dutch raiders, other raiders, which eventually backfired on them. At one point, they lost around 5 million foreign worth of goods when a fleet got hit by a storm in 1631 off the coast of Veracruz. This was also on top of the crown taking over a third of the rights of silver mining, which led to a further recession in the economy, leading to plague, famine, drought, and even the king would become sick in 1627, although he would survive. Spain was not in a good position when, at the same time, the HRE was actually in a fairly good position and Ferdinand was relatively happy in his political position. Spinola, who was a major general in the Spanish Empire, actually pushed for a compromise with the Dutch, or at least sending more reinforcements to the army. Olivares was open to a parlay negotiations, but he was only willing to compromise on trade in the East, meaning India, and not the New World, meaning what they called the West Indies at the time. He refused to accept that the Spanish were in a bad position militarily, saying the Romans conquered the world with 100,000 men, but Spinola had a similar amount and couldn't do it. Well, I'm not getting into details about it. The Romans had way more going on in the world. It was a completely different situation. So it was clear to me uh, he was somewhat deluded or in denial about the Spanish situation, which if you're in a position where you're trying to maintain your political prestige, but everything's falling apart around you, I can understand why, although open negotiations earlier might have saved what happened later. Overall, again, the Spanish were in a bad position with their bad credit, their inability to fight the Dutch, and they were losing a large amount of money from the New World. They needed a significant victory to really help restore their lost prestige. This would lead to things I covered in the Danish phase, such as Spain controlling part of the Palatinate, that's covered in earlier episodes. But a detail I will cover here is Spain was asked to help reinforce and help Ferdinand of Cologne when Mansfield appeared near him, but Maximilian refused to let the Spanish cross the Rhine, and the League units were not to assist the Spanish in their own stuff, which led to a clear delineation of the two wars, with the Dutch and Spanish focused on each other, and the Danish were focused on the rest of the Imperials, which, as we know, didn't go well for them. However, the fact that the wars were separated also had a level of confidence, or at least security, in the fact that they knew they couldn't be flanked and attacked by an enemy on their border, which would be good since you don't have to reinforce that side and you can focus all your forces on the one enemy in front of you. Two-front wars generally don't go well. This would change a bit in the upcoming battles. 
Frederick Henry's next move was to take more territory in the southern Dutch provinces in 1639, which would disturb the current political situation. He wanted to consolidate his domestic position with the military victory. He sent an army to the west as his primary force with 28,000 men and 118 guns to besiege Herzengenbosch, which in French is Bois de Luc, which I'm just going to call it that since I can say French names either than I can say German ones or whatever that is. He also sent forces to the east to distract the Spanish and potential imperial reinforcements. The fortress of Bois de Luc, no, of Bois de Duc, sorry, I said it wrong the first time, was surrounded by marsh and outer works, making it hard to besiege, and on top of that was a garrison of 6,600. The siege began on May 1st, and by July 18th, the outer works had been taken by the Dutch. The Imperials were now involved, since the Dan Shore was effectively over, well, was over at this point, actually, had found themselves unable to break the siege, even with the help of the Spanish, or, you know, the Imperials helping the Spanish, but you know what I mean. So, instead of trying to break the siege, they marched to besiege Amsterdam in order to get the Dutch to lift their siege, which was a common tactic to stop an enemy from attacking your territory, because many people, once they hear their cities or whatever are being attacked, they will break their siege to stop yours. So, it wasn't necessarily you wanted to succeed and capture it, that was a good goal if possible, but it was very much a get-out-of-our-territory. They actually got within 40 kilometers of the city, but were stopped before they could get much closer by the militia of the city, along with sailors from the navy who banded together and formed an army of 128,000. While they were undisciplined, the imperial forces, who were also undisciplined, which numbered around 20,000, were unable to advance further, and the Dutch eventually managed to capture the Wessel Crossing on the Rhine on August 19th. Eventually, the siege of Bois de Duc came to an end after an explosion in a mine under the city, which brought down part of the walls on September 10th. The Spanish garrison held out for another week before they surrendered, the siege ultimately lasting five and a half months. Which was brave considering they were outnumbered four to five to one, which is nothing to scoff at. With its victory in hand, the Dutch then began to take more Spanish outposts along the Rhine, claiming most of them. This was an unequivocal defeat for the Spanish, and hurt their plans to rebuild Spanish optimism and economy. This would hurt their ability to send reinforcements to other parts of their empire, which included the Mantua Affair, which we'll get to next episode, as Spanish reinforcements might have helped there, but, like I said, moving reinforcements and men was difficult now. It also reduced their presence in Germany, handing over most of their positions to the HRE, leaving them with a handful. This formally demarked the difference between the Thirty Years' War and the Eighty Years' War. So the Spanish and Dutch were more fighting each other than they were assisting their allies, militarily at least. Many of them were sending money to them, but they weren't formally sending military forces. This loss also got the king to put Isabella, another member of the court, to reopen negotiations with the Dutch, who were willing to talk peace. Frederick Henry had a growing number of people willing to ask for peace, so he wasn't against it seeing that public opinion was starting to at least a truce. There was definitely a lot of difference between the two, and peace would not come, really, but both sides determined that Northwest Germany was to be considered neutral territory for both sides, which Ferdinand was fine with, seeing as he didn't want to worry about that front, and if that cost the Spanish, that was fine. He just didn't have to worry about the Dutch anymore. This loss would only help damage the Spanish prestige even more, which would only increase the rate of which Spain would become a secondary European power, which was an ongoing trend in the 17th century, with other countries coming on the rise, like England, France, countries like that. 
the Dutch were also in a better position, which would eventually help get their independence from the Spanish and the Habsburgs. But European and continental conflicts weren't over with, and this war wasn't the only one that was being affected by things in the Thirty Years' War or Thirty Years' War stuff reaching into other people's wars. There were other military issues going on, and next week we'll see another one with Mantua and La Rochelle. I want to thank you for listening in, and I hope you are enjoying the podcast. Next time, we cover the issue of Mantua and La Rochelle. Social media links will be in the description box or on the links themselves. You can email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. Reminder, I have a Patreon, and to review and spread the word, and I'll see you guys next time.